0: Welcome to New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater.
1: Listen, anything that death and hell can throw against you, Jesus has got the keys to it. Don't be afraid. The most powerful, intimidating one in this story loves you.
0: This is week two of our brand new series, Beloved. Today, Pastor Randy continues preaching the word from the New Testament book of Revelation. Now, last week, he reminded us that we are the beloved ones. If you missed that sermon, go back and listen now. Find it on our website at gracenewhope.com. But now, turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 2. Today's scripture reading from Pastor Randy's eldest, this is Daniel verse one: To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this I have, yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Amen.
1: Amen. Well, before you sit down you can turn to your neighbor and tell them your funniest joke, okay, in honor of the LOL event. And if it's not funny, ladies, you should come to LOL. So, I don't know about you guys, but, um, but when, I think, when I think back to Christmas, uh, think back to like your earliest Christmas memory. Your earliest Christmas memory, and and I one was you know, my my both my parents worked and and had businesses and and you know dad been law enforcement but mom owned restaurants and dry cleaners and things, so they both provided the money part of it but my mom did all the sh- Christmas shopping and then one year there was a present there that that dad bought for me and it threw the whole house into a great array because. Because mom's like, where did this gift come from? This, you know, this, this isn't right. And dad's like, I bought that one. I remember that one. Um, I remember everyone coming over. But I have a vivid memory of seeing the, the black and white version of Dickens' uh, A Christmas Carol for the first time. Scared me to death. I have three older brothers. You know they all assured me this couldn't happen in our house. No, no, the opposite of that was true. They all assured me that tonight, on Christmas Eve, this was gonna happen to me. It's a real thing, Randy, this is real. It's not a dream in a movie, no, this is a real thing, Randy, this is like scripture. This is gonna happen to you tonight in our house. And I'm glad you're enjoying this so much, Peyton. So, but I was scared to death. I slept that whole night with covers over my head. We're going to look at something really scary here before we get to something really, really good. Revelation, uh, we looked last week of that which has been, that Jesus has come, has died for us, has redeemed us, that I said last week, go through life as the beloved. Let that be the voice, the, the character that you play in life is I'm the beloved one. I want you to just... In your mind right now, if we were Pentecostal church, I'd have you say it out loud. Um, and if you want to, you can, but I just want you to just in your mind, I'm the beloved one, I just, just know that. Just, just go through life with that. When, when you're checking out at the grocery store and it doesn't feel like you're the beloved one, I'm the beloved one. When, when you're paying your taxes, I'm the beloved one. I mean, just, just remember that, remember those words. That's the, that's the past. We're now, though, in the present. Look at verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that's speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven gold lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands was one who was like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. Nothing scary about this. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Nothing really scary about that, I like hair. His eyes were like a flame of fire. This is getting a little weird. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars from his mouth. Came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When the alarm goes off at two in the morning and I come over to the church, let me just tell you, if I met this dude, I'm a little freaked out, right? Like, seriously, this place is wonderful in the daytime, but at 2 a.m., I'm just telling you, it can be a little creepy in here. When you're walking in this room, okay? You know, I'll just stop there. But it can be a little, it can be a little intimidating at 2 in the morning. And I've often thought, Lord, what if like you just came to me like just a a like a like a physical manifestation and you met me here? I would like him to be like the Jesus in the white robe without the. Burning fa- flame face and and all of that. I mean, that would really be scary. And look at look at what he says next. Look at what he says next, because here's this Jesus, this this absolutely terrifying image. That, listen, the scariest image, the scariest person in all of Revelation by far is Jesus. By far. That, you're gonna meet no one as scary and as powerful and as dangerous. Think about Chronicles of Narnia. He, he's a lion, is he safe? No, he's not safe. He's a lion, but he's what? He's good, he's good. I've told this story so many times, but if you're new, please. if you're old here, please patronize me. When I was in charge of security for a music festival, and one of our guards called, he's a teenage guy, he called, said Randy, these guys are trying to get in, they're drunk, and I jumped in my golf cart. I had a golf cart that said security. Now I used to work for the police and I had a badge and a gun, but now I have a golf cart that says security with a little yellow light on it. And I'm driving over, I'm driving over to the gate and I get there and, and before, I, before I left, the biggest member of the power team, Barry Hadley, six foot eight, he looks like this, like his waist's about this big and his shoulders like this big. Barry's like, hey, you want me to go with you? And I'm like, well, technically I'm supposed to take care of you, but yeah, please. So so he jumps in the golf cart, you know, it tips like this. And we we're we're dry, we get over there and and there's these five guys. And and the one guy in the in the front, little little guy, well, little this way, not this way, little this way, is like, he's like mouthing off, saying all kinds of stuff and everything. And he's gonna come through the gate and he's gonna hurt us. And and I said, Look, man, look, our police officer's on the way. Just turn around and walk away. He goes, No, I'm coming in there, I'm gonna. I'm gonna do harm to you. That's not exactly the words he said, but we'll leave it at that for Sunday morning. And and I said, Well, look, here's the deal. Okay, you might, you might not. Wor- worst case scenario, you get beat up by a preacher. Best case scenario, you beat up a preacher. You can't really brag about either one of those, can you? So, so just turn around and walk away. And and then then he goes, No, he goes, he goes, No, I'm coming in. Just then Barry stands up, looks over the golf cart, and goes, Is everything okay? And I'll never forget this. The guy in the back goes, Who brought the mountain? And <laughs> and which I don't really know why that's funny, but I loved it. I mean, I just really loved it at the moment. And and the little guy in the front goes, Come on, we can take him. And the guy in the back goes, I'm not that drunk. And <laughs> it, it was it was, listen, Jesus says this. Look what he says. He says, He says, Fear not. I'm the first and the last. I'm the one, church. Listen, I'm the one who was the beginning and the end. I'm 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 the Alpha and the all those things that pertained to the one who loved you, who washed you. That's who's here. He put his right hand on him. I'm the living one. I died. And behold, I'm alive forever. I have the keys of death and hate. Listen, anything that death and hell can throw against you, Jesus has got the keys to it. Don't be afraid. The most powerful, intimidating one in this story loves you. Don't forget that. Doesn't mean you won't go through adversity. Doesn't mean you won't go through trials. But you'll be all right because he puts his hand on you. I'm with you. I, I'm with you. We'll win this fight. Might get bruised up a little bit. We'll win this fight. May not go the way we want it to. We'll win this fight. Then, then we get into the letters. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna be really brief about this today. There's a, there's a section in your notes that I, that I made this little graph. We're gonna come back to this over and over and over again. There's a, a very literal interpretation. You can go and put that graph up on the screen. There's basically, if you look at the aspect, an aspect is, is basically the direction of a view, which by the way, you need to come over here and you need to go sit on the outside stage some night at eight o'clock. Just come on over, it'll be fine, all right? And, and just come sit on that stage over there at eight o'clock. The prettiest sunsets I've ever seen in my whole life are right over there. It's, I'm right, aren't I, Daniel? You've been here before. It's, it's unbelievable how gorgeous those sunsets are. But you have to have the aspect. If you're looking this way, you're not gonna see them because that's, that's where the sun comes up. Now, that's pretty, but it's nothing like that. You have to have the right aspect. You have to have, to have the right direction of view. So when we're looking at Revelation, the, you have to think about the literal versus the figurative. And we're going to talk about this over the next few weeks. Different people have different interpretations of lots of things. You have the letters to the churches. You have the overall interpretation aspect. You have the millennial aspect, the thousand-year reign of of Jesus. And how literal is that and how figurative is that? And when it comes to the churches, there's a local that we're talking about, by the way, the word hermeneutic here, the science of interpretation. How do we interpret this book? Now, I'm going to I'm gonna give away what I think at a macro level. I think we should open it and read it. That's what I think we should do. I think that we should do that more than, more than putting an outside lens on it and applying some sort of numerology or something. I love it when people say, well, if you take verse six, verse six and multiply it by three, divide by two, and, and you come out with this. Listen, when this was written, there were no numbers. There were no verse numbers. So much of the numerology stuff just goes out the window. We're gonna read the Bible and see what it says. And there's a local interpretation. This was a, as we're reading about these seven churches, this is a circuit of seven churches. It was a, it was a government postal circuit, but it does start with one of them. It could have started with any of them, but it started with this one. This was, this was like the local circuit of, these, of, of the letter carriers. They would take mail around. Them. So there's a local, practical advice to the church here, the individual church. There's a corporate aspect. These were to be taken as a whole. They were written to all. This this was one letter written to all these churches. And as you're as you're looking at this, this is this you want to get an aspect, an understanding of. There's a corporate aspect to this. We're a family of churches. We have eleven churches and and a couple of uh, nine churches and a couple movements within who we are as as a family of churches they're all unique but there's things that we want to take corporately that we work work together on then there's a personal aspect when he says to all who have ears to hear this is about our personal walk we can take things out of these things and then there's a prophetic aspect that they speak to the challenges that the church is going to face over the generations until Jesus returns as we read these letters these are we we're, we're going to see different things that relate to us that that we will encounter as churches. Now, each of the letters, we've got one more little introduction thing, then we're gonna jump into Ephesus. Each of the letters has four parts to it. Essentially, every letter has four parts, except the last letter doesn't start with this first part, and that's a positive affirmation. I I was uh, get, picking up hot dogs yesterday, and I was at one of the big uh, retailers, and it was a retailer where you have an app. People were were crazy in the parking lot yesterday, people yelling at each other and stuff. I don't know what they were trying to get to, but man, it was busy, it was busy and crazy. And I went in with my app, so I don't have to go through the line, okay? It's, it's, a, it's great, I love the app, okay? But I'm walking out, and the lady says to me, she says, um, you, you, didn't, you didn't scan these hot dogs. I said, yes, ma'am, I did. She said, no, you only scanned one. I said, ma'am, I know I put the number five down for the giant packages of hot dogs. She said, no, you did five hams, not hot dogs. I said, could we just call it square? She said, no, it would mess up our whole inventory. I said, it's about the same. I said, actually, I think you make some money on this. She goes, no. She goes, no, you got a ham. You're you supposed to just get one ham. You got one, but you paid for five, and you got you only got paid for one hot dog and you got five big packages of hot dogs. So I've had my encouragement because this is what she said. You did the rest of this correctly. (laughs) And then she said those dreaded words. You're gonna have to go to the customer service desk and work this out. (laughs) Oh man, there is a Hades. This also gives you an eternal kingdom admonition. Tells us about who we are as a people and what we're supposed to be. And then the last thing is you're gonna get a unique view of who Jesus is. Sometimes you gotta look close, but you're gonna get a unique view of who Jesus is. Let's, let's jump into Ephesus. Chapter two, verse one. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars, that's, that's the leaders of these churches, in his right hand, who walks among the seven gold lampstands. The gold lampstand is the church. He said that. That's what the lampstands are. He's interpreted for you. A lot of times when you're trying to interpret Revelation, just look and see what it says. He interprets it. That's the lampstand. That's, that's what gives the light. That it's giving light to all that's around it. A lampstand, that, you know, Lumiere is not there just to serve Lumiere. Lumiere is there to serve the castle. So, so this is about giving light to the area that's around it. But look where Jesus is. What's he doing? What's the verb? Who what? Who, it's right there, who walks. He's in the presence of the church. I just wanna encourage you. I know that we're in a generation where people are pursuing God on their own. Thank you for being a part of the church, whether you're in this room or you've brought the church into your living room but don't walk away from each other. Don't walk away from each other. Because this is where Jesus is. Jesus walks among those lampstands. This is where you're gonna see him work in power. He says, I know your works and your toil. This is is a church that that is working hard. Ephesus was this church that was led by the apostle John at one point. So John's writing to a church that he has a lot of emotional connection to. Paul was there for two and a half years. This was this was a significant city. They they had they had amazing cultural aspects to them. There was the agora or the agora, depending on if you're from the north or the south. That was a that was a place of where it was like the mall of Georgia on steroids, and you would go in and they would sell food and. And, and goods from all around the world. And people would travel, because Ephesus was a port city. They would travel there to, to buy things. The, the, it was, they had amazing libraries. Some of the greatest libraries of the ancient Near East was and, and Asia Minor, sorry, was, was there. This was an amazing place. There were temples, the most significant being the Temple of Artemis. There's a picture of it in your, in your notes. And, but there were 14 other temples there, to all kinds of gods. The um, temple of Artemis, and you can read about this in Acts 18, was, was an amazing place by the way it was built. It was a football field and a half long. It was a football field wide, massive columns. One of the seven ancient wonders of the world. People would travel there. This was a bucket list place to go to if you lived in Asia Minor you wanted to go see the temple of Artemis. But it was also spiritually a very dark place in addition to being this this pagan god filled with prostitutes, male and female. That was a part of the worship. And you say, well, as a Christian, it would be easy. You just don't go. It was also where the bank was. So unless you wanted to have all your money kept at your home with that risk, no safes, think about it. Unless you wanted all, to, you, you would take your money there and you, they would write it down and they would keep it under guard of the Roman guards and your money would be safe or you could keep it at your house and always every time you left your house, be afraid that someone would come in and rob you. There was no ADT security systems or anything. You're kind of on your own and Christians wrestled with this. How do, we, how do we live? And, and in addition to that, every year in May, they would gather along the city street. Think about Mardi Gras. They would, they would go on the city streets and they would have this drunken festival filled with all the debauchery that was in the temple and everything else, and they would make their way down. They would take their Artemis dolls and they would dip them in, in the river. It would restore the virginity. And they would go back to the temple and they would, in this drunken party all night, men would become priests of Artemis that night. And if you were a priest of Artemis, you would have to be a eunuch. And they would make that decision that night to become that priest of Artemis and they would give their future, their hope, their family to Artemis. And you go, well, I could pass on that. But what about the banking part? It gets, it gets more intense, though, because to, in Ephesus, it was, it was a special city because it was essentially where the presidential library of two emperors were. Augustus and Domitian had temples there. And Domitian's temple, the columns of Domitian's temple, had these other gods on the columns, in, in, that were hewn into those columns, chiseled into those columns, sculpted into those columns, essentially saying, This I'm the God above everything else. And to go into the agora, you would have to take some incense and break it off and drop it into the incense burner. And in doing that, this is what you were saying Caesar is God. That was your price of admission. So as a Christian, you were wrestling with these two big cultural things, my money and, and my, my livelihood. You could, you, could, you could operate outside the agora, but it was gonna be tough. It was gonna be challenging. Uh, it was gonna be a, a rough thing to be able to operate outside of all of the systems that were there. You can run a shop outside your house, but boy, you can sell a lot more stuff at the mall you can keep your money at your house, but it's a whole lot more dangerous. And Christians were wrestling with this. And this is, this is what he says. He says that you, um, you've, you've done well. I know your works, verse two. Your toil, your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. Remember when Paul wrote Ephesians chapter six? Be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God. You can stand against the schemes of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against King James' principalities and powers, against rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers over his present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Take up the whole armor of God. Look, this is not just sweet little words. This is writing to a church that's walking through the midst of this. This is this is real stuff. This is is real life stuff that that they're walking through, that they're they're wrestling with. These churches are are battling a, a culture that is incredibly difficult to them. And there were powers at work. Early church writings talk about in those temples supernatural stuff was happening. Now, I know some people don't believe in that. I could take you to a place in the world where you would you would believe it. There was real powers at work. And this is what he's saying. Church, your enemy is not those people working the temple. Your enemy's not even Domitian. It's principalities and powers. There's rulers and authorities at work here beyond the rulers and authorities that they think are in charge. Don't confuse it, church, don't confuse it. It's easy to do, it's difficult when it seems like everything is working against who we want to be as a church, that's not our enemy, that's the prize. But we wrestle, so you gotta have the armor on. You gotta be ready for the battle, just make sure you're fighting the right thing. And this is what he says. He says, you can't bear with those that are evil. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. Three times here, this is what he says. He makes this point. You don't bear those that are evil. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. He's basically saying the same thing three times there. You're gonna keep the church faithful. That's what he's saying. We we are not going to allow false teaching to take place in the church. Don't, listen, we will be a people that are loving and caring and listening and engaging and gracious, but we will not sacrifice his word. We're not gonna do that. We're not gonna bend on that. We're also not gonna be jerks. Amen to that, too. This is what Augustine says. Augustine said, the church is wretched, but she's my mother. Actually, in Latin, it's a lot worse than that. And if you know what he actually said, you're laughing right now. Because what he said was really strong. We've gotta keep this clean as best as we can. So we're gonna put our armor on I know some of you guys have been hurt in the past by the church. Don't leave, it's where Jesus walks and remember that when the church harms you, it's going against the very thing that it's supposed to be. But now he's got a little word of admonition to us. Verse four, he says, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. When I was a youth pastor, this was an easy thing because kids would grow up and they would graduate. And to be honest, nobody really left our youth group. I mean, it was fun and engaging and nobody really left the youth group. Nobody taught me in this job what it would be like to watch people leave. Nobody said anything to I Honestly, I, I, had, I didn't, I had no concept of what that was like, and and people leave. Now some people move away, like the Millers moved away, and they're probably watching online. You need to go find a church where you're living now, okay? All right, thanks for watching. Thanks for staying with us. We love you. But like, you know, they came in and we prayed over them because they moved an hour away because they bought land, and and it was and it was they, we cried together, and and it was wonderful. But people leave, and it doesn't feel like your kids going away to college or anything, it feels like you're 16 and your girlfriend or boyfriend just broke up with you. That's kind of the emotional feeling when people leave the church. Nobody taught me that. I, you know, and you, you marry their kids and you bury their parents and they leave. They get mad about something and leave. Now, we have an entire generation of kids that are doing this to their parents right now. They're deconstructing, because they say your parents were toxic. I'm gonna tell you what was toxic. Your diapers at 1 a.m. were were toxic. Um, you're, You're causing me to not have a place of rest. Yeah, you, for years, you know? You know, you don't sleep when they're little and then you don't sleep when they're teenagers, right? And we need, to, we need to be the people God's called us to be. But I know, like, man, I know a lot of people live their days concerned that, um, that their kids are gonna walk away from them. Scared to death about that. And I'm not saying that you don't have to have boundaries and all of us have parents that we have to be careful with and all that and stuff. But, um, but if you can, love your parents if you can, because you're gonna be a parent one day. My dad used to tell me this story. I didn't fully understand it until I got older. He said there was this culture, and, and in this culture, um, when people got old, they took them out in the woods and they left them. and, and this dad was taking his dad out into the woods to leave him, and, and this little boy came up and said, Daddy, I need to go with you, and he said, no, you don't wanna do this, son. He goes, no, I need to go with you, and he goes, why do you wanna go? And he goes, well, I need to know where to take you, If you can love your parents, love your parents. If you can confront and make things right, make things right. I, this is unique to our culture, by the way. I was, in, I was in an Indian restaurant Friday night and the guy that was working there kept calling me uncle in his language and I knew the language and I knew he was calling me uncle and he stopped and he said, you know I'm calling you uncle and I said yes and he goes, I'm sorry, he said, if you find that offensive. I said, no, it's better than what the guy at Sam's called me. Um, and, uh, so i in the parking lot. So no, I appreciate uncle. And if you can love your parents, love your parents. I'll get back to the text. But this is what Jesus is saying to us. We didn't lose him, we left him. We didn't lose him, we left him. This is a conscious choice. I didn't drift away, I, I left, he, we, he said, you left me. You left me. So what do you do when you lose something? I'm, I, you look for it. That's exactly what you do. And where's the best place to look for something that you lost? The last, you, you are, you wanna just finish, you could do this right here. You could, you could. So, and you might even end on time. So you go back. This is what, this is what Elisha, Elisha's training these young prophets. And one of them, the ax handle falls off. And what's Elisha do? He rips Rips a, a, a piece of branch down and he sticks it in the water. But, but where does he do it at? Where are they lost it? Go back. You remember when you first came to faith and you were on fire? You've been on a mission trip and you see God doing these crazy things. You know what's different? You get up in the morning you think about him first and what he's gonna do and not sports center. Guilty. You, 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 you get up in the morning and you, you're on a mission trip and, and you're praying. You're in the word because you gotta be because if you don't, you're gonna get it handed to you and you know it. <laughs> Ain't no different here, church. Go back. I've been listening to podcasts lately. Now, if it's Myrna's podcast, that's okay. But, but I used to listen to a lot more worship music, and I was struck by this this week as I was reading this text. Because I, I love going on runs at night and listening to worship music and and just lifting my hands and singing out loud. Now, when I'm riding my bike, I don't lift my hands because that's dangerous. But, but, but um. But when you're running and you lift your hands and you're singing praise songs in the night, I think he likes that. I think he likes that. And we say, well, I don't celebrate like that. You do when the Georgia scores a touchdown. Ow. Jesus won't stay without love. Doesn't mean you lose your salvation. I don't think you do you lose your lampstand. He said it, I didn't. He says, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What's repent mean? I'm going this direction. Stop going that direction. Go in the other direction. Go in the direction you were going when you were on fire for Jesus. Put those things back in your life. It's not complicated. You you want a good marriage, guys? Flowers, chocolate, dishwasher, (laughs) floors, bathroom. (laughs) Hey, we gotta draw some limits here somewhere. (laughs) Go back to those things. We're gonna talk about Nicolaitans. I don't have time to get into that. um, I'll talk about it next week. I'll just... Before I, before I close and worship team, you guys can make your way. Um, I ran into a young man I discipled 25 years ago and he said, Randy, I've never forgotten this thing that you said to me. And I said, what was that? I've probably forgotten it. And he said, you said what your goal in ministry was. I said, I have no idea. He goes, he goes yeah, this was your goal. He said, you wanted your kids to love Jesus when you were done because you said a lot of times it doesn't work that way for pastors. Um, I said, well, actually, what I said was I didn't want my kids to hate the church, but loving Jesus is the bigger goal. I'm really thankful that they love Jesus. I don't think, though, it's just me and Anita. I talk a lot about my mom and dad. Anita's parents have done this thing faithfully and they've done their ministry faithful and their house is modest and, and dad's never written books, but they love Jesus. And anybody that's around them would know that. It's infectious, church. He who has an ear Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Stand up, church, I'm almost done. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. The one who conquers. That's you, you're the conquering beloved. You're the conquering beloved. And he is the one, here's the unique identity, that's your identity, here's his identity. He's the one who can give you the tree of life He's the one can give you this, this, you can eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. At the temple of Artemis, there was this giant tree and if you were gonna have a baby, man or woman, you had to go touch that tree. To not touch that tree was a huge cultural loss. But of course, believers couldn't do that. They lost out. The paradiso of of Domitian was where everybody went that was important. And to get invited to the Paradiso would be like being invited to dinner in the presidential rose garden. And the plates would be out and it would be the finest meal and you you would be in the paper the next day of, of you or Josh was there in the presidential rose garden having dinner. He's important. He really matters. And to a church that... Can't go into the bank and can't go into the agora and is giving up all that it is. This is what he says Listen, I have something for you that's better than all that. You're gonna eat of the tree of life. You ain't gonna touch it, you're gonna eat it. And you're not gonna do it there in the temple of Artemis, you're gonna do it in the paradise. But it ain't Domitian, because Domitian isn't gonna be emperor after 96, but God is gonna be God after 96. And you're gonna be in his paradise. You'll eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God, this great reward. In 262, the Goths came in and they destroyed the temple of Artemis. There's one column left. That's all that's left now is one column. There's a picture in your notes. It's all gone, except for that one column. Ancient wonder of the world. That's all that's left right there. And the tree got cut down and the paradiso of Domitian got destroyed. But we are in a kingdom that is not perishable and will not be destroyed. Don't lose your love for Jesus. So, this morning, we're going to take communion. We're going to be reminded, we're going to eat. This is a visual representation of the tree of life. The tree of life isn't a tree, it's a person, it's Jesus. He is the tree of life. It, it, and, and as we eat and drink and remember, church, whatever you've given up for Him, He sees. It's what Jesus said to his disciples, whatever you've sacrificed, whatever you've sacrificed, I've seen it and I'm gonna bless you so much more than that. Lord Jesus, I pray over this room today, we are thankful that we live in a nation that's free and, and that we can vote and, and we have laws that are meant to protect people and if they don't, we go back and work on them. And, and, and our persecution, it's really small. It might get worse, and if it does, Lord, help us to remember that you have promised us something better than anything our government or our culture can provide for us. Lord, let us love our families well. Let us model loving you in front of them. We are not perfect, we, we mess up, we fail. Let them see our repentance. Let them see us step away from that which is not good and go back. Lord, let us keep this church and our family of churches and the church capital C, Lord. Lord, we pray for repentance. Let us be who you've called us to be. But never forget, never let us forget that we are the beloved conquerors. We're not going back to death. And we're not gonna forget we're loved. In your name, amen. Amen. As you go this week,
0: don't forget you're loved. And don't lose your love for Jesus. Thanks for listening. I'm Myrna Brown.